Welcome to Voice It, a podcast showcasing people in the Clare Valley in the mid-north of South Australia who've started their own businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. This is a chance for them to tell you their story. I'm your host, Annabelle Homer. And then within 10 days, I had been interviewed, I'd been vetted to make sure that I uh, wasn't part of the IRA, just to make sure all, all was safe. And then within 10 days, I was living in Clarence House and cooking for the Queen Mother. Meet Sophie Whitehead. Her first job out of college was cooking for royalty. In this episode, you'll hear about how she came to be cooking for the Queen Mother, the experiences she had with not just her, but many members of the royal family. For example, dancing with Prince Charles at Balmoral Castle. Who does that? And it doesn't sound real, does it? But it is. What a start to one's chefing career. But the excitement didn't end there. Sophie ended up here in Australia, cooking for the rich and famous on super yachts and in Sydney North Shore mansions. She's now left the rich and famous behind and has moved to the Clare Valley with her husband, David. A spontaneous move while caravanning around Australia. They came across the Curly Goose by chance, bought it and have transformed it into a gin space. This is delightful. Enjoy Sophie's story. So I grew up in the UK, born in the UK, always wanted to be a chef. From the age of nine, that's what I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I left school at 16. I searched for the best catering college to go and study at, uh, which I did. I got into it. I had a proper interview and everything got into that. And it was a two-year full-time course with chefing and a bit of bar work and waitressing as well. But really loved it and did well. At it, And when it was time to leave, the comptroller to the Queen Mother were looking for a cook to work at Clarence House. They contacted the college and then the college recommended me. Um, Out of everyone there? Yes. How many people were oh, going through? Oh, hundreds. I don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And how old were you? Uh, 18. And then within 10 days, I had been interviewed. I'd been vetted to make sure that I uh, wasn't part of the IRA, just to make sure all, all was safe. And then within 10 days, I was living in Clarence House and cooking for the Queen Mother. Oh, wow. So how are you feeling, firstly, of getting the job in the first place and the responsibility of cooking for... For royalty. At first, when I was first told about it, my mum took the phone call and me being very naive, I said, oh, I'm not going to move up to Scotland and rah, 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 and totally naive. Anyway, it was a living position. Yeah, it was surreal. It was hard to believe that, you know, a few weeks beforehand I was in college with other teenagers and then the next minute I'm living at Clarence House and cooking not just for her but for her household and any staff or any other royals that came along uh, cooking for them as well. What were your go-to dishes for the Queen's Mother? Well I started off doing afternoon teas oh. so I can make you a cucumber sandwich like you've never had a cucumber sandwich before. Tomato sandwiches but not just you cut a slice of tomatoes very involved. Um, doing all the cakes, all the scones, all the biscuits so any time she decided to invite people over, last minute I'd had to rush downstairs into the kitchen and start baking. So you started off at afternoon teas and did you progress 
yes. further. Okay. Yeah, and she had a hundred staff that included the police as well. Some of the time I was cooking for staff, and then most of the time it was for the royals. So then we did breakfasts, and oh, I did her breakfasts and got into trouble with one of her breakfasts. Actually, oh. I've got a letter from her saying, "Could you please remind the chef that um, did my breakfast?" To take my fruit out of the fridge the night before as it's too cold for my teeth. I have that letter. Not quite in those words, but close. <laughs> One day, once we've got everything out of our boxes, I'll uh, have all the Queen Mother's stuff that I've you got. You need to frame it and put it up on the wall. <clears throat> I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've mean, come a long get... way since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of coming a long way, how long were you there for? Uh, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I wanted to move to Australia. Um, Did you enjoy that two and a half years? Loved it. Loved it? It was amazing. We got to travel with her everywhere. Oh, so where did you went go? on the Queen's flight um, to Bal- not Balmoral, but Burke Hall was her uh, residence, which is just down the road from Balmoral. We stayed at Castle of May, Sandringham, uh, Royal Lodge in Windsor, um, got on to her Royal Yacht Britannia her train and the Queen's flight so wherever they went we went with her. Did you meet the Queen? I met all of them. Met all of them? Except for William, no, William I fed, he was just in a high chair I hadn't met Harry or Eugenie, everybody else I'd met. Did you meet Princess Di? Yes I did. Wow. Yes I did. Beautiful lady very funny excellent sense of humour and got to dance with them all Really? Yes, because up in Scotland they have a yearly ball at Balmoral Castle and the staff are invited to that. We were taught, we had to learn all the Scottish dances and would have staff dances and some of the royals would come to that and Prince Charles, when he was Prince Charles, uh, came along and I danced with him to the Dashing White Sergeant. Yeah. (laughs) So we had to learn all the dances because when you're dancing in Balmoral Castle in the ballroom, you know Scottish dancing, you move around, you're dancing with different people all the time, so we had to learn it. Do you reflect back on that time and, and go, wow, I guess at the time I didn't imagine the enormity of it. I mean, it's quite significant and not many people would get to do what you've done. Do you reflect back and go, oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I do. I used to be embarrassed about talking about it. I wouldn't talk about it to anybody. It would be everybody else, all my friends telling everybody else and not me saying it. Um, Why were you embarrassed? I don't know. It was a job. Make it bigger than it was. Working for the Royals, are you a big Royalist? I am. It has changed over the years. And we listen to lots of audio books while David and I are travelling and we listen to Spare. I wasn't going to, but I'm really glad I did because I totally get his side of things because I've seen that side of things, not just what everybody else sees. I've seen behind the scenes, so I I totally understand where he's coming from. So you you came to Australia. What did you do in Australia to, to follow on from cooking for the Queen's mother? I did work just for a couple of weeks at the Opera House and then I got a job up at Centrepoint Tower and worked in the Alicart restaurant there for a year and then backpacked around Australia for another year. Every time I ran out of money, I'd just get another chef job. So then I backpacked around Australia for a year. So I worked on Hamilton Island, up in Darwin. I was part of SOCOG, the Sydney uh, Olympic Committee. I looked after them. 
I've worked in five-star hotels. I've had my own business, restaurants, cafes, consulting, and everything in between. And the references you would have got would have been quite significant coming from royalty. So I presume no matter where you went, you would have got a job. Yes. I can imagine that would have set you up for life, would you say? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I understand that you started cooking for the rich and famous in Sydney. How did that come to be? For the last six years before we started travelling, there's a lady who's got a company called Sides and Main and it's her own business and it's just her. it was just her and I. We would work on super yachts and mansions in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and she has a really good business model and we just worked really well together and she was very particular about her food and yeah it just worked really well and so you did private dinners private dinners mm -hmm. ladies luncheons weddings parties we did brian brown's daughter's wedding that was on cockatoo island they hired the whole island for her wedding that was pretty amazing. What was it like dealing with those super wealthy people? Were they easy to deal with? Depends. You get, get all sorts all the time. The wealthy people that had made their own money were beautiful and down to earth. The ones that had inherited it and they weren't so easy to work with. But yeah, money was no, no object. So mm. we, we had amazing ingredients to work with and and I presume uh, when it comes to that type of work the expectations are exceedingly high and did you ever find that you couldn't reach their expectations or were there things that you had to say no to because it was just beyond anyone's capability I mean what in that type of environment I can imagine it would be quite stressful um, yes, it could have been stressful, um, particularly when we had to go on some of the super yachts, teeing up the timing of getting everything on there before everybody, everybody started arriving, working in a small galley, so you had to be really organised. Mm. But those expectations were a challenge, so it was fun. Yeah. That nothing was too hard, we'd work away it will work away to um, get exactly what they wanted so they were happy. So Sophie, how did you end up from that to the Clare Valley? Well, David, my husband, he used to be an exec for Australia Post, worked for them for 32 years and through COVID and floods and fires and everything else that was going on in around that same time in New South Wales, it's just too stressful and he said, what am I doing this for? So just decided to leave and we decided we wanted to rent our house out and get a caravan, four-wheel drive and travel Australia. And you were happy to leave? It was good. The hardest thing is the children, leaving them behind and friends, but they're always there. So mm. they can come here, we can go there and we can still catch up. So we were going to travel for two or three years. And I uh, got to about five months when we arrived in Clare. Had you been to Clare before? No. So what was it about Clare that made <laughs> you stay? <laughs> well, this opportunity came up. So we were, we, with our self-managed super fund, we wanted to find something. We didn't know where and we didn't know what it looked like. We just left it to the universe to see what, what happened. And we arrived in Clare. We went to the real estate and just had a chat with them. 
and they told us about the curly goose and that it could be coming on the market soon and they asked us if we'd have a look at it which we did and with the vision of making gin or did they come um, later it needed different income streams so i was going to use my chefing somewhere we have we've got the vines David's amazingly handy, so he's turned the old cellar door into an Airbnb. So that would be another income stream. It just ticked so many boxes. Then we carried on travelling and realised, my goodness, we've just bought a vineyard. (laughs) (laughs) Did it do something with it? (laughs) Yes. We had, like David's creative, like I I said, and um, he's a massive researcher, so had learned how to make gin before making gin and then when we got here started making gin oh, so he's the one behind the gin yeah oh, he's the gin man he's the gin man yes we work well together well that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 so and then he went to uni for a week um to get the piece of paper and learn a little bit more it's taken off and what, are the, what does the children think of your new endeavours? They've come to terms with it now. <laughs> Poor Hannah, my daughter, she was the youngest out of our five. She was still living with us and she thought we were being very selfish and didn't think about her and we were making her move out and it was not fair. How old is she? Tw- 21. <laughs> so I said, you're 21, not 17. And I'd come to Australia when I was 20. And we wouldn't have even thought about it if we didn't think she was capable of living on her own. So she's grown up immensely since we've done this. And I miss them like crazy. They miss me. But we get to see them and travel and they get to come down here as well. And with your chefing experience and being exposed to so many different things in Sydney and your experience in the the UK, how well does the Clare Valley do their thing? do the food, do the wine. Is, uh, it, is it good or is there room for improvement? There's room for improvement in the fact of suppliers. I've really found it hard because obviously Sydney, you can get everything and anything. I can order any fruit or vegetable I like, any type of meat, any type of cut, all those things, and that's been challenging even even to order from Adelaide yes really yeah and going down to the markets is still things that I just they don't have and having to adapt to that has been interesting you've just been spoiled Sophie I know (laughs) know. (laughs) you've got to come to how the little people live (laughs) yeah that's right off the land but generally like when we came we didn't know how the reception would be being city slickers and then coming into into little Clare. But we've been blown away by everyone's warmth and support and just it just feels like a big hug really. That everyone's just it just feels amazing. We've really had a good reception. They do the wine well, they do the food well. There's other things that obviously I'd like to see in Clare. What would you like to see? Things to be open past two o'clock or the more places for people to go. So if On there's a visitors, yeah, yep. visitors come here. There's there's not much to do in the afternoon. So then I, I feel that we could be losing people from staying here longer. With all that experience behind you, what's a piece of advice that 
that you could give to those people that want to get into hospitality and do something similar to what you've done? Stick with it. If it's really your passion and you wake up every morning and you're prepared to put in the hard yards because it's, it's hard work and long hours and unsociable hours, if you're willing to do that and you're passionate enough to stick with it and just be open to what is you know, presented to you, what the universe gives you and just go with it. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to me and good luck here in the Clare Valley. We are so lucky to have you here and have your experience and the fact that coming with new ideas, which I think everyone within the industry and in the community will appreciate. So thank you. Well, thanks, Annabelle, for having me. And it's, yeah, it's been, been fun. Sophie Whitehead from the Curly Goose and Sawmill Gin at Seven Hill. They are open to functions. They conduct gin making workshops, gin tastings. They're in the throes of organising an annual gin festival called A Gin Thing. And they're inviting gin distillers from right across South Australia to set up on the lawns at the Curly Goose. And you get to sample the best of the best in SA. So mark September the 16th on your calendars. To find out more about Voice It, I'm a public speaking coach, podcaster, audio memoir producer and an MC. I have a website, voiceit.me. I love revealing these stories about locals in the Clare Valley and the Mid-North. It's amazing where people have started, where they've come from and, and what they've done with their lives. And I hope you've enjoyed these interviews along the way. There'll be another episode coming out shortly featuring some locals from Jamestown. Catch you then.